for June 7th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 101, an instructional film about forklift operation. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the north side of the muddy Charles River in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Peter Fenzel, here with the panel to overthink our final installment of our summer movie overview, and to talk about the experience of going to the movies, how you make choices, how you confront the complexity of this daunting situation in a modern world where complexity is just one layer on top of other complexities. <laughs> starting with our, <laughs> starting with our, I love, I love it when I get to be host. When I get to be host, I get to be over serious. I'm over seriousing it. But I should, uh, I should introduce all the other lovely people which are joining us, who are joining us today. Unfortunately, Matt Rather cannot join us because he is on a lengthy uh, drum circle angling trip where he is both fishing and finding his masculinity. Uh, no, that is not true. He is off doing mysterious things that we will not disclose. He will disclose them at his choice upon his return. But we do have people here. So we, like Teddy Roosevelt shall do what we can with what we have where we are and starting with our uh, first podcaster and asking today's question at the request of our chat room what is your best or worst karaoke moment starting temporarily relinquishing the top of the alphabet to you our dear dear podcasting friend natalie uh natalie baseman from uh from cambridge or somerville which part in town of massachusetts are you in right now I'm in Somerville, but it's the part of Somerville that dips into Cambridge. Uh, so I'm pretty close to Cambridge, but I get to pay lower taxes. Ah, uh, sounds like you've uh, achieved a bit of a coup there, Natalie. Yeah, I like to work around the system. <laughs> You've always been a bit of a, a rebel. You've—I uh, can tell because you—you're uh, a nonconformist. You don't listen to the same music everyone else listens to. Uh, True. I listen to what's called independent music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, and I also like your sort of brand names that you wear, which are the third or fourth most popular brand name rather than the first or second. It shows you are a rebel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so I'm Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> uh, Natalie, what's your best or worst uh, favorite uh, karaoke moment? Can it happen? Something happened to you? Someone that you? Something that you witnessed that happened to somebody else? Something that you heard about through oral tradition passed down by generations in your family? Any of these is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, I've only really gotten into karaoke in the last two years uh, since I've been in the Boston improv scene because, as you've mentioned in earlier podcasts, uh, the improv scene in Boston happens to circle around karaoke sometimes. Um, but before that, uh, I was on a class trip to England, and I was 16. And the thing is, I was with my mom's school. My mom's a teacher, and so she was teaching her students, and I got to tag along. And we were somewhere in the middle of England. I don't even know where at this gross hotel and they had karaoke and my team and I rocked the karaoke so hard we won three bottles of champagne oh wow (laughs) at age 16 uh don't tell my mom (laughs) um but we rocked major spice girls so uh (laughs) that was my first karaoke uh living in the high life. So, so what was the, so the crowd voted for you or was there a panel of judges? It was, I, I think it was, it could have been judges 
It was probably judges, I think. So were they, were they locals? They, like, voted for the, the girls, the teenage girls who had come into their, like, Midland, England uh, karaoke dive? And, and they- for the 16-year-old American girl. Yeah, well, yeah. I think, actually, it was probably, this is where, uh, this was during the height of mad cow disease. <laughs> and surrounding this hotel were basically, or these farms uh, that were just burning their cattle because <laughs> uh, because of the uh, mad cow disease, because of the hoof and mouth. So uh, everyone probably could use the fresh air of the American youth over the stench of rotting, burning, diseased cows. Yeah, we need to make a note of this because somebody needs to write a screenplay at some point in the future where events play out against the historical backdrop of like the great uh, 90s hoof and mouth epidemic in England, where like the sky is thick with the flesh of burning bovines. Um, and then they have like a romantic comedy and it's the same. Yeah, people, yeah. people are wearing uh, cargo pants or whatnot. Um, so jumping to the next in alphabetical order, a man who I know loves the karaoke because he wrote this wonderful article about the karaoke quotient, a way of quantifying those things that most of us find merely qualitative. From the city so nice they named it twice or perhaps over the river, Mark Lee, how are you doing? Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Oh, we're not in karaoke now. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, I'm, 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 all right. I'm embarrassed. I'm really sorry, guys. No. Show My favorite off. karaoke moment. Um, so I mentioned the article first that, uh, well, I, mean, I don't know if I mentioned this article. So the overthinking New York crew uh, typically goes to karaoke in our own private room. Which is, uh, you know, it's definitely our preferred method. It contains the madness into our own little strange universe and sphere of madness. Um, but the best karaoke moment that I've had is of the other variety of uh, out in front of the public, of strangers, um, which is not actually the typical bar karaoke. It was actually punk rock metal karaoke, which uh, a fellow overthinking it uh, raconteur Sheely wrote about a post uh, way back when. And um, I had the pleasure of witnessing him at punk rock heavy metal karaoke with a live band in New York City um, in some amazing dive bar in the Lower East Side. Just totally rip into uh, a misfit song, Where Eagles Dare. And if you're familiar with it, you uh, know the vigor with which this song is performed. And uh, Ryan met that level of vigor and exceeded it. I think his power level was definitely over 5,000. I thought the man (laughs) spontaneously combust supernova or something man that was something else if you can just imagine uh overthinking a podcaster Sheely twitching and screaming and uh and and writing about the stage it's, it was pure poetry poetry in motion is what it was. <laughs> good, good i'm glad okay i'm done we had some of your neuro crew up here in Boston, and we took them down to Sing Sing in Alston to do some private room karaoke. Uh, we did that a couple of weeks ago because uh, we up in Boston usually do our karaoke at, at a. Uh, Natalie has talked about it. A lot of the improv crowd goes to a bar called the Asgard in the Central Square and does karaoke there on Wednesday nights. But before I tell you about what happened on our mysterious evening in Alston, we do have one gentleman who does not have a profile picture on Skype. So when I look at the Skype that we're calling him on, he is but a question mark over a pair of shoulders. But I recognize those shoulders. They belong to Jordan Stokes. How are you doing, Jordan? 
<laughs> I, I'm a, I, that's my favorite description of me that I've ever ever heard. A question mark over a pair of shoulders. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be a I'll be a negative Nelly and give you my my worst karaoke experience, mm-hmm. which was also at the punk rock heavy metal karaoke because uh, <laughs> Sheila had talked it up and Mark talked it up and I went and I paid my like ten dollars or whatever and I put in my song choice. I was there right at the beginning and I waited to the end of the night and they never called on me and I was really upset about this, you know, because I had it was pretty late and I went up and I talked to the host and uh, their their apology was oh yeah I'm sorry we we forgot about you but I tell you what if you come back next week I'll make sure that you actually do get to go <laughs> and my reaction was like hey hang on hang on if I've paid you for something once and your reaction is well if you pay me again I promise I won't just take your money and not let you do it like, <laughs> Like no, Lucy, I'm not gonna run up and try to kick the football again. Right. <laughs> it really, uh, it really killed the magic for me. I gotta say. I'm sorry, man. Did you ever end up doing karaoke again, or did you did you crawl up into a ball and sort of leave your life? <laughs> that behind? was the last time. Was no, last time. I, uh, I I continued to do karaoke, but I haven't gone out to uh, to do it with a live band again because mm. you know I just. Even if you get to sing one song, I understand the attraction, but typically when I go to karaoke, I get to sing like two songs. That's Mm. that's twice as many. (laughs) This is true. This is very true. Um, So that leaves me uh, because I'm I'm the host, so I get to go last. Uh, And and this, I I can tell why Rather is always drunk with power because it's such a wonderful feeling to be in charge of this wonderful giant cruise ship steering its way toward adventure. Um, So I have a a couple moments because I love karaoke and I wanted to share just a couple moments. And since I'm the host, I get to say what I want. Uh, So one of my favorites actually involves very heavily Jordan. uh, The look on uh, your wife's face is part of what made this this one fun. Which was, uh, this was both a best and a worst moment, because I think I did this with our friend John, friend of the podcast, uh, John, uh, where we sang One by Metallica. Uh, which, if you don't know the song, um, it's it has, I think, no fewer than four instrumentals of longer than a minute in length, at least in terms of the karaoke <laughs> arrangement. Um, and the, it's about a, a person who steps on a landmine and loses his senses and his like ability to interact with the world. And it is first about the sort of monotony of his life. And it goes through monotony into like deep despair. And there's sort of like long, sort of acoustic-y guitar solos. And he, and he sort of contemplates like what he's lost and the sort of is slowly driven mad by his state of sensory deprivation until the last like two minutes of the song are just like hard guitar riffs and screaming and while this in and of itself was not particularly remarkable because i do songs like this all the time (laughs) um what was remarkable about it was the look on jordan's wife's face who was not his wife at the time uh because she's she's not um she, she's not like an improv comedian, right? So, you know, she's not one of the people who's used to seeing me get up there and do this all the time. Uh, but the, the combination of like horror and pity and confusion was, <laughs> was one of the more like sincere and visceral responses I've ever gotten from a performance that I've ever delivered anywhere. And, uh, and it burned into my memory. Um, but on the good side, uh, and actually this is something that somebody else did. And I'll, I'll again shout out John because I really think he's one of my favorite uh, karaoke dudes ever. Um, you guys, I think, might have been there. Natalie, you weren't there because we didn't know you yet. But um, if you, if we did know you, we would have invited you because it was wonderful. I remember yeah, when, yeah, sure, when John phonetically memorized Gasolina in Spanish. <laughs> Uh, he spoke some spanish but he wasn't particularly fluent in spanish and he certainly wasn't particularly agile in the puerto rican english inspired spanglish of the reggaeton but i remember i lived with him at the time and he went through very 
methodically and and memorized all of the words to gasolina uh, often by the sounds rather than their meanings uh and delivered it at a private room in karaoke and i was absolutely blown away i think that was the same day he did pony um which was also yeah. John John always brings his A game to the karaoke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as for me, I don't know. It's hard for me to nail down something I did up here in Boston as one of my as my favorites. Uh, I love it when I do karaoke with friend of the podcast uh, Rachel Vandister, where we do Fleetwood Mac songs and act out fake relationship fights during them. <laughs> uh, we have to like you can go your own way and during the instrumental breaks, like have an argument as if we were at a deli counter and had run into each other and can't agree on what sandwiches we're eating and stuff. Um, <laughs> And, you know, there's, there's always the renditions of Number of the Beast, which I'm always fond of. Well, which is, of course, a song that you should always sing to your lady. Um, because no, nothing, women don't like nothing as much as they love the Book of Revelations and heavy metal based on it. Now, so, don't, don't get the feeling from this that Mr. Fenzel only does Number of the Beast and, uh, and one. No. Because I'm also quite taken with his rendition of Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've been told that, that one of my best karaoke performances was when I did Unbreak My Heart uh, by Tony <laughs> Braxton. Um, and I also really love anything by Gloria Estefan. Uh, and I really love doing um, As I Lay Me Down by Sophie B. Hawkins. Because you get to do the whole like, yada ya yambo, ooh la la da 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 yambo. And that always gets a laugh. I don't know if you guys know that song, but... Uh, I remember listening to it in the car in seventh grade and, uh, and thinking that it was good. All right, so, so now... Uh, yeah? This brings up an interesting question. I'm going to just totally hijack the discussion. Go about, for it. Uh, there are, about, the only rule is that there are no rules. I hate yeah. staying on task. Let's rock. About karaoke aesthetics, right? Yes. You say yeah. that always gets a laugh. Yeah. And I think that for you, getting a laugh in karaoke is, is one of the desired results. But then right. there are other people who go to karaoke because they want to, to sing songs that they like and sing them well. Right. And these people always mystify me, you know? Yeah. You know who does that? You know who does that is Parrish. I always say that Parrish loves to sing good songs and sing them well. I mean, he'll also he'll do songs like, um, like uh, Get Your Rocks Off or like uh, he'll do rap songs. That, you know, he'll do a lot of Nas uh, and stuff. And he'll do party songs. But I feel like he always wants to do a good job. And I'm always impressed by that. But it's just not the way that I operate sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I very much go under the uh the i want to do it well can on it but i also cycle through four karaoke songs uh that i just do over and over again and they're all extremely upbeat well-known songs like they're not funny but they make everyone happy so that's that's my priority there what are they um they would be uh 500 miles mm-hmm uh, yeah. land, land Down Under, <laughs> uh, Come On Eileen, <laughs> and <dirty>. yeah, <laughs> well, I acted yeah. out. Remember? Yeah. No, uh, I don't. Um, and I guess I only cycle through three. <laughs> I can't think of another one. And then, and then the fourth one would be a grab bag if someone wants to pull me up. So and you, so you love the British Commonwealth and overseas possessions. I because do. You got a song about a song with Scottish accents, a song about Australia, and and then, uh, and then uh, come on, Eileen. I guess that's Ireland. So you know, Aaron Copra. We're not. Uh, <laughs> the fourth song is O Canada. Exactly. Yes, it's a, it's a song about the the empire of India. is It's a wonderful song. It's actually yeah, the road to Mandalay. It's a great song. <laughs> um, I love that song actually. Uh, Where are the old float to Lay? But uh, it's the lyrics are, come from a Kipling poem. It's a Sinatra song. Um, yeah. 
Actually, let me ask you guys this, uh, apropos of nothing. Karaoke. Do you think that people's accustomment to video games and internet and participatory entertainment as opposed to the passive entertainment of the television that was of our youth and the previous generation is making karaoke more popular among people? Do you think people like karaoke more? Do you think there's a more there's – some, there's some sort of splash benefit that it gets from other sorts of participatory entertainment experiences? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did, when did karaoke become popular in the United States? Ooh, that's another question. Maybe it's a globalization issue because it's been so popular in uh, in Asia. I mean, it is, it's been popular in the States for a long time, but I don't so know since, if it's been as popular as it is now. It's hard to say. Yeah, well, since the 60s, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, say, I do feel like it has kind of surged in popularity a little bit. Recently, because when I first started doing karaoke, I felt like me and my group of friends were kind of the only people I knew who uh, who did karaoke. And then in recent years, I've heard more and more about like offices going out after work. You know, I've had like my my department at school had a karaoke night and things like that. And I, I never remember that happening like, you know, 10 years ago. But it also might be, you know, I'm a tiny sample size here. Right. A tiny sample size with big shoulders. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I don't know. Um, I just I was I just say, there's a big a big difference between the karaoke experience and the being a participant on the internet experience is that the anonymity is not there in karaoke. True. Right? True. Like, yeah. Yeah. Speaking for myself, my experience being a dude in a chat room and being a karaoke dude, those don't really feel the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a- Alexander Bevier on the chat room brings up an interesting point, which is that games like Rock Band have made karaoke more accessible, is what he's saying. So so even if the actual karaoke bars aren't seeing as much karaoke, if you combine, say, Karaoke Revolution and Rock Band and Guitar Hero and all of the sort of video games where you participate in the sort of semi – the act of semi-music making, right? Like the sort of um, – I'm making part of music and part of it is being done for me by a machine. Um, it's sort of cyber, cybernetic music making. Um, that that in a, that is a more uh, popular leisure activity than simply going out to karaoke in the way that we think about, or that is portrayed in the lovely Gwyneth Paltrow, Huey Lewis movie duets, where it's sort of lounges and crooners and the the contests and all that other stuff. So. Yeah. And that's interesting because it used to be that that was the only way that music was experienced, right? Like before recorded sound. In that you experienced popular music, you experienced it by performing it yourself or with yeah. your friends. And, I and also, Rock yeah. Band has sort of brought that back in a way. Yeah. I also remember reading quite a bit uh, over the years about how singing in bars and piano bars are the remnant of this. But singing in bars used to be a much more popular thing to do. And singing at home. Uh, and I don't know whether this is just something that I hear stories of because my ancestry is Irish uh, or whether it's something that's more widespread. <laughs> But the idea that you would get together and drink and people would have drinking songs and you would sing your drinking songs, right? And, and yeah. like the Star Spangled Banner is the melody of a drinking song. And, um, and everybody knew the drinking songs in a given area. And then sort of slowly over time, in much the same way that that wonderful Bowling Alone book tells us, bowling leagues kind of fade away. This act of participatory, everybody is at the bar together, we're part of a community, we're singing together, gives way as people become more compartmentalized, less interested in joining the group. And that kind of 
drops out of touch with the culture. But now we're kind of seeing some of it come back. But people are able to choose better who they do it with because we have the private rooms like they have in Asia. We have rock band that people are doing in their own living rooms and you know people putting stuff up on YouTube, different ways that people can choose who's listening to, who they're, uh, to them when they're singing. Right, right. And what counts as the drinking songs uh, in the area, like of the region, turns out to become this like globalized thing where everybody who is like playing rock band uh, remotely on an internet server like knows the lyrics to every single song by, and I'm just picking a band here, uh, the Smiths, right? And they can bond with those people. And other people will know, you know, the the Irish drinking songs, and other people will know the Scottish drinking songs. And, yeah, I mean, much like overthinking it, you know, we have a readership that extends across national boundaries and around the world. I mean, but it's not a uh, as much as I would like it to be. It's not a huge world dominating uh, like hegemon, right? Like we have a readership that is global, but it's not pervasive. So it has a, a boundary, but that boundary is not in land or over water. And so we're seeing sort of different kind of subcultures break uh, develop that aren't based on where you're doing the singing, but who you're choosing to doing the singing with. Um, yeah, okay. our, our fan base is a diaspora of overthinkers. That's true. We're we're a, we're a bamboo network, as they Wait, would say. Diaspora implies that it had an origin in one specific place and then spread out. Uh, are we saying that there is a geographic a homeland of overthinking, or is it more of a spiritual? Is it a state of mind? I think the homeland of overthinking is watching Back to the Future 2 for the third time uh, <laughs> in, like, your friend Kevin's basement while you're in, uh, in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we all spread out from there. Excellent. I, like, yeah, I like the idea of that. Speaking of watching movies in people's basements or in movie yeah. theaters <laughs> and either watching them in the past or in the present – Let's get back to our summer movie preview. Woo! So, we, right. when last we left our heroes, they had progressed through late July and the, the American film Dinner for Schmucks, based on a uh, French movie, um, and we had already spoken about that, so we won't repeat it. But I am excited about this next film that we get to talk about because it is about one of my favorite spices and/or condiments, uh, <laughs> and that is the movie Salt, uh, starring Angelina Jolie. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and in fact, I have no idea whether that was correct, so I'm just going to say Chiwetel Ejiofor, just to make sure that I cover my bases, and everybody's favorite saber-toothed slash Broadway actor, Lee Schreiber, who's actually absolutely <laughs> um, I think so he may own to, that category yeah. all into himself, saber-toothed <laughs> slash Broadway actor. Yes, much like the World Series, it is quite a smart thing to create a league in which you are the only participant. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so Salt, actually, upon my reading it, has already disappointed me because it is, in fact, not about that wonderfully granular sodium chloride compound, uh, but an action thriller starring Angelina Jolie as a CIA officer accused of being a Russian sleeper spot. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's quite – it looks a little bit ultraviolet sort of, just in terms of her having, like, an overdone haircut and being kind of teched out. But I, I don't think it would, could possibly be that bad. It's it's almost certainly of a higher order of magnitude better than that. But um, yeah, has anybody heard anything about this movie? Because I don't really know anything about it other than what it's saying on MovieMoron.com, which is where we get our lists every year of the summer movies. And thank you and visit their site. Uh, but yeah, anybody have any thoughts about Salt or about Angelina Jolie in the in a Megan <laughs> Fox world? Is she still relevant? 
I don't like Angelina Jolie. She doesn't and like you either, Natalie. She doesn't like you either. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, nothing against her personally, because, I mean, I don't know her personally. Uh, big surprise. Uh, but, every, <laughs> God, it, you know, I'm very much a burn me once. I'm, I just lose all interest. And Changeling was quite possibly the worst thing I've ever had to sit through. So there's very... Uh, little chance I will see this. And that, I had no idea it existed before looking at this list. So, <laughs> yeah. So wait, so so Changeling, did that not have an actual Changeling in it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is BS. That is B period S period. I'm the, not interested in a movie called Changeling unless René Aubergenois is playing a shapeshifter in it. It has to be yeah, Open oh, letter to Angelina Jolie from the Overthinking It staff. What's up with these misleading movie titles? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. like Tomb Raider Two, there was very few tombs. It was mostly about other kinds of buildings and the ocean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of anything else that she was in that that uh that where the name was just totally and entirely wrong. Uh, girl interrupted finished without interruption. <laughs> That's true. That movie had no ambition. I wanted to get up and get some popcorn, but they never interrupted the girl, so I didn't get to. And I was like this is B period S period, and I am sick and tired of it. Um <laughs> Is this the time where we have to, like, is this the time on Sprockets when we dance? Is this the time on the Overthinking Podcast where we look up the list of Angelina Jolie's movies and we figure out which ones which ones have really misleading titles because they promise something very specific is, in fact, not what the movie is about, such as yeah. Salt. Um, yeah. I can, I can tell you a little bit about Salt. I saw an extended preview for it, mm. and, like, they seem to be trying to make it one of these documentary movies, um, sort of like how parts of District 9 at the beginning uh, like seems to be found footage, and uh, Cloverfield is meant to be all found footage and things like that. I don't know if this was just the trailer's conceit, but like I was sitting there in the movie theater, and then they like say, we interrupt these previews to bring you a special news broadcast. And they have a guy like on the nightly news being like, you know, this uh, we're, we're, we're receiving reports about, uh, you know, an, an agent who has uh, gone rogue. Her name is blah, 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 Salt. Uh, this footage may show, uh, like it shows some woman running away from the scene. And it's hilarious because like the the footage is quite clearly hollywood cinema footage you know like they, they don't they didn't they didn't take even the slightest attempt to make it look like something someone had posted on youtube mm. so i also will probably not see this i mean it didn't it didn't win me over with that so so future so other nominees for angelina jolie movies where the movie title promises something very specific that does not in fact appear in the movie pushing tin uh is in fact not about <laughs> tin or about the pushing of a many metal. It is, in fact, about devices that have engines that are able to push themselves, and it's about air traffic controllers. And that's, uh, I think, where she, either where she met Billy Bob Thornton, her husband, or not. That's a John Cusack movie. Oh, I got um, one here. I got one here. Uh, she's credited in Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell 2, dash, picture show. And uh, there's neither meat nor loafs nor meatloafs in that, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Just saying. She also, just saying. She's also in the movie Life or Something Like It, which is in fact not life, and in fact nothing like life. So. <laughs> I got one. I got one. Uh, she it was in the 1996 Foxfire, which has nothing to do with this web browser I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs>
You mean it's All not right. an open source, uh, highly popular, free, downloadable thing? I'm shocked. I don't think shocked. so. Oh, and by the way, in hackers, they totally weren't hackers. That was some nonsense. I have no idea what they were doing, but it was not, did not resemble hacking in any way. Uh, anyway, moving and on. Cre- credit, credit where due. Beowulf was totally Beowulf. And Gia is, in fact, about Gia Karangi. So. <laughs> she, she's done a fair number of movies where the title tells you exactly what is in the movie, such as Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like the, the Bone Collector, pretty much about a dude collecting bones. Yeah. Like, what, what's, what's funny, you guys who are listening to this don't get to uh, appreciate the joke that we do, which is like actually finding movies where the title isn't exactly what the movie is about is relatively difficult for Angelina Jolie as opposed to for any other actor you can yeah. name. Like Cyborg 2 is pretty straight down the middle. And I've, I've seen it. I mean, there's not only is it the second cyborg movie, but I believe there are two cyborgs who are in the movie. So it works on two levels. That one has Jack Palance in it, by the way, and he's great. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, we have speaking of movies that have unfortunate titles, Little Fockers, uh, which is, I believe, related to Meet the Parents in some bizarre, distant way. Uh, it's some sort of quantum entanglement it's where the there is a super in the series, right? Oh, oh, it's Meet, Meet the, Parents the Parents three. Meet the Parents, and then the following one is Meet the Fockers, right? Oh, okay. And now this is Little Fockers. So this is Beethoven's Third, is, is what this is. This is like, we're making another sequel, and it's about children. This is the second Starship Trooper sequel uh, that went straight to DVD, except this, unfortunately, is making it to the theaters. You mean Marauder? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's that correct. <laughs> another way to think about this... Pete, is that this is this is the Dragon Ball uh, Z? Right? Yes, or true. It's about true. the next generation. That's very true. That's very true. What were you saying? The, uh, I was going to say it is the look who's talking now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I believe I might have expressed last time that there are in fact no miniature biplanes or triplanes of German origin in this movie, which is very frustrating. Um, but oh, that hold was on a, a second. We're just like kind of leap straight, leap straight into the hating on this mode. Is that justified? Yes. Are we just assuming yeah. that because it's the third because the first one was kind of okay and the second one I'm assuming was not very good. It's like why are they bothering making the third? Is that second one here? is pretty bad. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I, I did it. not like Meet the Fockers at all. Uh, but maybe maybe that's just me. The first one is acceptable. The first one is fine. It's also um, on TBS all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's talk for a second about lazy cash in sequels, right? Like you have a property. You need to make a sequel, not because the story demands it, but because it was popular and you want to make money, right? Yeah, sure. It seems to me that like the laziest way to do it, although sometimes successful, as Dragon Ball Z is an example of this, is like have those characters have kids and tell a story that's sort of about them with their kids. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting, um, the example of Look Who's Talking Now, because if you already have kids, you go to dogs. <laughs> right? right, right, right. And then Beethoven's third means you've already got dogs. You go to the kids of dogs. Right, right, right. So what goes after that? If you have children of dogs and then you make another movie where you have to do a sequel of puppies. Um, it's I'm, whatever 102 Dalmatians turned out to be actually about. <laughs> Which is actually an instructional film about forklift operation, I believe. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. And also, at this point, Robert De Niro is so far removed from the parts that he played that made it funny that he was in the first one of these movies that I don't even know what he's doing anymore. But whatever. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's having a good time. Uh, he's getting paid is what he's doing, right? ching <laughs> We love actors who work. All right, so the next movie stars an actor who I wish would do more things that were not terrible, and that is Harrison Ford. Um, I don't know. Hollywood Homicide was passable, but only on television. 
Morning Glory, Morning Glory, um, which is a movie that appears to be about a morning television show, which is apparently something that some people still watch. Uh, and it's got Harrison Ford, Rachel McAdams, Patrick Wilson, Jeff Goldblum, Diane Keaton in it. Uh, Rachel McAdams looks like she's playing a very similar character to the character she played in um, the Russell Crowe and Ben Affleck movie, State of Play, wherein she's sort of an up-and-coming new media young professional who has to uh, lock horns with kind of older-world news media journalist-type folks. And in that movie, it was she was a blogger, and she had to partner with an investigative journalist played by a hairy, fat Russell Crowe. And in this one, she, uh, she has to play a sort of spunky news producer who is locking horns with uh, Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton. Harrison Ford not... Uh, hairy and overweight, but uh, but crotchety, uh, very crotchety. Uh, is, do you think? Do you think that she is in fact playing the same exact character, and this is actually in the same universe as uh, State of Play? That would be pretty. Like, get him to the Greek, where it's like not quite a sequel, but we're using the same folks. Right. I yeah. yes. I'm going to hope that is the case. <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope the blogging and newspapering didn't work out for her and she became a, a producer <laughs> on a morning television show. That would be pretty good. Said to play was a thriller, right? Eventually? Yeah, yeah. It was like a suspense thriller. It was like a smart suspense thriller. Quite a good movie. Did very poorly in the box office. Uh, Rather had told me at one point that he thought it was proof that star-driven quality movies from genres are not really doing all that great these days. Mm -hmm. uh, And that movie stars are in trouble. Uh, Because if State of Play, which is a great movie in a fun genre with big stars in it, can't make money, then like that says something about the business that we need to really think about. uh, And we are because we're interested in what it produces, much in the same way that I'm interested about what they feed cows because I drink milk, delicious milk. Um, So, yes. (laughs) So, yeah. So so the verdict on, uh, on this movie is to go see State of Play instead, right? I guess. I mean, I don't know. I love Harrison Ford, and I miss him, even though he's still around. He was really great in What Lies Beneath, but like that's the last latter-day Harrison Ford movie that I can say I really enjoyed him in. And even that, it's not really a good movie, right? It's more like Harrison Ford does well in a movie that's pretty silly. What Lies Beneath is pretty decent, but then again, I'm not a real horror aficionado. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it didn't do much for me, I gotta say, but yeah. we're allowed to disagree on these things. I mean, I have a I really think... low standard for horror movies, and I don't like many good ones, so I'm not the person to ask about these things. <laughs> um, but yeah. I don't like I don't like horror films. I like bad ones, because I don't like being scared. So if they don't scare me that much, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Then Natalie, so... I got a movie for you. It's called Troll 2. If you can watch Troll 2 without being scared for something, even if it's just the human condition, then like something's wrong with you, man, I gotta say. So, so Harrison Ford did a great movie, which we can debate about whether the title is about what the movie is about, which he did the movie Firewall in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays a, a, a security specialist, but he actually has to rob a bank. So I don't think he has to go through the firewall unless there's a wall of fire. I think he actually has to go through the door, and they're not going to call the movie The Door because they think there's already a movie called The Door. So they had to call it something else. But I don't know. Maybe he has to go through the firewall. It's like, oh, man, my McAfee <laughs> virus is, is still downloading its updates. Oh, boy. Let's watch this scroll bar for a while. Um, oh, no, he has to transfer the money electronically to an offshore account. So there is a firewall. So that movie actually looks like it's pretty direct and honest, and I salute Harrison Ford's honesty. Truth truth in advertising. Exactly, exactly. And the the next movie on our docket is actually great for truth in advertising. Because the title is uh, The Other Guys. (laughs) 
<laughs> truer words have have scarcely ever been spoken about uh, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. So, and Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell, of course, wonderful comedic actors, and Mark Wahlberg, of course, a a wonderful, wonderful rapper. Um, an underwear model. Will Ferrell, an excellent underwear model. Uh, the other, the other guys. It looks like a fun concept, but I thought that cop out looked like a fun concept. So what do I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, so what is it? Uh, the Rock and Samuel Jackson are like bad, you know, bad mother cops. Like they're they're really, like the lethal weapon cops, yeah, right? Exactly. Well, except they're both black, but they're oh, they're, yeah. they're awesome, and they do all of the tough stuff. But uh, and then Warwick Wahlberg and Will Ferrell are like the real cops. They're sort of like the cops on the wire, except that they are funny. Um, I mean, not like funny in like the wire cops are funny in sort of a cry cry sort of way. But they're like, well, yeah, they're bumbling. I mean, yeah, go ahead. They're like they're like the cops of the wire who then get transferred into the same police department where like Bruce Willis from Die Hard and uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon all work. Yeah. You know. And then they have to sort of reconcile their experience of being a cop with the superhero business. Exactly. And when I say that they're like The Wire, I don't mean that they're involved in like a pastiche of human drama and urban suffering and institutional defunctment. I mean that they like do cop work such as filing papers and like doing reports (laughs) and and not cop work such as jumping from helicopters onto barges, which is not something that many police officers do on a regular basis. Um, Well, no, the main thing about this movie is – it's very uh, self-aware and tongue-in-cheek, as in, like, these guys, these are not the action cops, they're the desk cops, and they, you know, get the opportunity to be the action cops, and they're like, this isn't like what it's like in the movies at all. It's one right, of those, right. you know, very, um, you know, I understand that I'm in a fictional universe, and I'm invoking the things of a fictional universe types of things. Um, yeah, kind of yeah, like uh, Kick-Ass, kick you know, a similar thing, you know, it was like, you know, um, I'm being a superhero, and there are all these other superhero things that I know about. Yeah. Now it's directed by Adam McKay, who did Anchorman and did Step Brothers, and I heard Step Brothers was pretty good too. Um, so it sounds like it's probably going to be really funny and not um, sort of like an ironic but not quite there comedy where it's like it's a genre film, but it's not. But it's a genre film, but it's not. And we're going to do stupid jokes. Uh, maybe it'll actually be fresh and good. So that's kind of exciting. I want to see that movie. I don't know about you guys. Um, I'll keep my fingers crossed for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd see it on a date. Yeah. I would see this movie for the same reason I won't see Salt, because I like Mark Wahlberg for the re- same reasons I hate Angelina Jolie, because I saw him in one movie and I've loved him ever what, since. What movie did you see him in? Um, well, I've seen him in a bunch, but he really caught my heart in The Departed, Oh, because I, w- I thought he was so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, pretty great in that. He's pretty great in Date Night. I was hoping, I was, I'm like looking at his movies now, hoping that... uh. It's like, oh, I saw him in Perfect Storm, and it was just, actually, that would make sense. Four Brothers, Invincible, The Shooter. He's done a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Shooter's probably not one of them. Boogie Nights, that's fine. Basketball. I heard Huckabees. Yeah. He seems to do a good job of picking projects. So, I, and yeah, and so he's a good guy. I mean, although it is kind of silly that if you want a sort of uh, other guy cop who isn't an action hero and is sort of a regular guy in an extraordinary circumstance, you pick the like former rap star, underwear model, movie star guy. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, okay. uh, you know, it's, it's, but he does a good job of, of playing um, characters who are believable and also not necessarily the sharpest tack in the box. What do you think about this one, Mark? I haven't heard from you on this one yet. Uh, I think that Ustream is a pain in the ass, and that's what I'm dealing with right now. So you guys keep talking. <laughs> all right, all right. Mark is dealing with our technology issues. We are trying to bring this to you in 4D, not just audio, but 
uh, actually, that's not a dimension. That's a sense. But I, not just length, <laughs> depth, and time, which are the ones we usually use, but also um, into the hypercube itself. And Mark is, is trying to get the interwebs to cooperate with us. But that will not deter us. We will continue our march. I'm very workmanlike in this. I think we're, we're going through these movies. And then there's some something. You, Natalie, you mentioned something that I wanted to talk about, which is about summer movie season and dates. Uh, and like, and I want to get to that. I wonder whether we have to push through these last two movies, which you would never go see on a date. Because well, like- <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's hit them real quick, and uh, and then we can we can say that we've done our duty. Excellent. All right. So this first one, actually, I've heard is pretty awesome. I know Blinky is excited for it, or at least I think I remember that Blinky is excited about it. Uh, it's a it's an old school action movie called The Expendables. Um, starring Sylvester Stallone, Jet Li, Jason Statham, Mickey Rourke, and global treasure Dolph Lundgren, also honorary captain of the U.S. Modern Pentathlon team at one point. Arnold Schwarzenegger's cameo. Wow. Oh, he has the cameo in it? Oh, yes. and, oh the, yes. and Bruce Willis as well. And yes. Eric Roberts and Mickey Rourke. Oh, man, this looks totally awesome. I don't know what it's about at all. Oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is in it too? Oh, man. Um, anyway, this doesn't actually say. Oh, they're they're in a south they're in a South American country overthrowing a dictator, and there's going to be lots of Uzis. Um, and Sylvester Stallone's robot face will probably serve him well in this movie because he will get to be like a sort of creepy, burned out mercenary, uh, which is appropriate for his level of Botox because it's as if he actually was in t- like had gotten awful things in his face and he can't move it anymore because he got shrapnel or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the last word that needs to be said on this film is Dolph Lundgren. And, like, <laughs> either you're excited by that or you're not, and the audience will be, you know... Yeah. The people who go to see this movie are going to love it, I think. It's also a really interesting uh, sort of arc, like a good point to check in with Jason Statham, who has done a movie with Jet Li before that was... Uh, I mean, I think it's fun and good, but I was talking with multiple people yesterday who thought it was bad, called The One... Um, which is where it's like there's in, there's infinite universe. There's a number of different universes. We're in a multiverse situation, and each human being has a certain amount of power in this multiverse situation. <laughs> so gently figures out a way to travel between universes to kill other versions of himself, so that he consolidates all of the power in the multiverse in his personage into himself. And he does this by like jump kicking people. And uh, it is primarily remarkable because it has a whole bunch of '90s uh, like. Like sort of uh, like rap metal songs <laughs> in it, hmm. in the soundtrack, uh, such as like you know, um, uh, you know, uh, let the bodies hit the floor, let the bodies hit the floor, and so forth. But Jason hmm. Statham used to do a lot of these movies where he was sort of an also ran among a bunch of action stars, where he was like the cop chasing Jet Li, and nobody cared who he was. Or in John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, when he's with Ice Cube, and they're on Mars shooting ghosts uh, with machine guns, and nobody cares who Jason Statham is. But in, th- in this one, he gets to be in the backseat again, probably behind Sylvester Stallone and such. But, I mean, he, with, with the Crank movies now, and, and uh, the Transporter movies, all 12 of them or whatever, you know, he's a star in his own right, so we'll see what he does in this one. Anyway, and the last one, which is another movie that may or may not actually have in it what its title is, <laughs> depending sure. on how you look at it, is a movie called Priest. Um, and it's about, uh, I think it's about having to run the administrative finances of a small parish in suburban Wisconsin. No, it is not, in fact, about that. Um, it's about a somebody who fights vampires. <laughs> um, it's like a priest out for vengeance against vampires. Uh, and it's based on a manga. And it looks, is it animated or it's produced by Sam Raimi? And it's a vampire western. What I find interesting looking at the... Um 
looking at the description here on Movie Moron is that uh, this is a quote: a "Priest is an action horror which sees the titular character disobeying church law to track down the vampires who kidnapped his niece." Now, what goddamn church has a law against tracking down <laughs> vampires? I, mean, <laughs> I hope the law is that you're not allowed to like file for reimbursement for use of a church vehicle unless you like give 90 days notice but he's not willing to wait 90 days before he leaves to go rescue his niece from vampires um and so the church bureaucrats are like you're against the rules and you're out of line we need your vestment and your gun why do you have a gun because <laughs> that gun yeah. <laughs> it's not appropriate for you to have a gun in this job you're not licensed you yeah. broke another rule um, on a more serious note uh i think it's kind of unfortunate that um you know, at least in, in the news media, the, the church sex scandal has, you know, come back with a vengeance recently after, you know, a, what seemed like a brief lull after the first uh, kick up with the, you know, the scandals in America. And that putting a movie out when the title is just simply priest is really opening the door for a lot of pedophilia jokes when the movie is not about pedophilia. At right. All. I mean, it's, no, it's uh, in fact it's, about it's vampires. It's, it's in fact about vampires. And about, it, about, but, but about fighting vampires. Which is good. Ironically, though, it's about vampires. <laughs> it's about vampires in an era in which vampires are engaging in a lot of pedophilia um, because they are involved in teenage love stories, right? And that's like what vampires do. It's like 100 year old vampire is like preying on a defenseless 16 year old girl. Um, so if the priest went to the Twilight movie, then you would have some jokes that you wanted to make. And I'm sure we can call Jay Leno's people and give him those jokes now and they can take a week off because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 if the movie is mainstream enough that they would recognize it. Um, Natalie, what are your thoughts about this movie? Sorry, guys, I fell asleep. I have zero interest in seeing <laughs> the last two movies that you guys talked about. Uh, yep, that's it. <laughs> All right, so, so that brings me... Just, did anybody have a last word on the movie Priest about the guy with the cross tattooed on his face? Well, I just think it would be really interesting if... Uh, to like to show what happens when a bunch of you know people show up in the Twilight universe trying to kill uh, the Cullens because they're abominations against God yeah. and uh, and preying on the young and all this. I don't think it's something that ever comes up in those books. There's honestly. not like a Van Helsing character who goes after Edward Cullen. No, no, that would be kind of funny. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, so yeah, so my last word on it is that the thing to remember about this movie is it exemplifies the element of manga culture wherein because the audience is primarily Japanese and or sort of alternative culture motivated, Christian symbolism is used in a whole bunch of really crazy ways. And uh, because it's not a religion in Japan, obviously, that is is strong enough in its uh, you know brand management that it, it uh, is able to prevent there from being like really graphic – comic books made about priests or even like random characters who are actually jesus like showing up in sci-fi movies yeah, i mean it's right? not a question of the uh, of them not being able to control this it's a question of there not being a cultural space tacked out in people's heads of what christianity actually is about so in the same way that when i went and saw prince of persia right which is set in uh in iran maybe in the sixth century so it's like they could be zoroastrian they could be muslim and then you go into the temple and there are statues with like 20 arms right it's not because they're trying to make any kind of statement about Hinduism. It's because Hinduism doesn't mean anything to the general American movie-going public. So you can use its symbolism just like toss it up there because it looks cool. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of what's going on with Priest here, I would say. 
Yeah, definitely. And you see it in a lot of manga um, where they use Christian, you know, they use crosses and churches and stuff for like uh, cool effects because they are cool images, right? Yeah. Like, and which and is think, lost, you know, because there's yeah. so much boring, stupid things that are associated with them in the cultural space. Um, <laughs> like, you know, oh, you have to file that request in order to take that church vehicle. Um, you could, I think, you could also speculate the degree to which something like um, the the Christian symbolism. Or, you know, satanic symbolism that you see in a computer game like Doom. Yeah. Like, how much is that actually meant to be satanic and how much is it just stuff that looks cool? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, you know, as you know, I'm a Magic the Gathering player. And when that game was heading into one of its, what, uh, fourth edition, I think it was, they uh, removed the pentagrams from Mm -hmm. some of the cards. Um, and I don't think this was because they decided that there was too much worship of Satan in the previous card game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was because, like, they hadn't really cared that much. You know, like, they move it, remove it from the, the unholy strength card, which just mm-hmm. makes something bigger, right? And it's not, like, it's not instrumental. Like, the pentagram that was on the card is not doing anything. Um, but they remove it because people ask them to, but it wasn't there because they were making a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it was just a cool picture that they could use for something. So, all right. So Natalie is not interested in seeing the priest. Movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. for, uh, there are so many reasons why that might be the case, but I'm going to focus on one of them, which is that you are a girl um, and a woman, actually. <laughs> uh, and and the one, of course, who appears to have you know come out of our our long journey in the wilderness, uh, looking for women to be on our podcast as our most regular contributor, and we're always happy uh, for your perspective because we are we are of course mostly dudes and in an echo chamber of our own making. Um, so this is I want to pose this question to you, Natalie, and to the rest of the podcast, which is summer movie season as we've. Finally, you know, wrapped up all the movies uh, we've gone through. The movies tend to be really ambitiously directed at specific demographics. The genre is like really on top of things. It's like this is a movie for children. Like this is a movie for whoever likes to watch Meet the Parents sequels. Like this is a movie. This is an action movie. This is a comic book movie. Like like the the quadrants of the audience are very clearly defined, and it's very easy to see which movies are trying to hit which quadrants. Uh, except for MacGruber, where nobody really knew who was going to see it, uh, so they just made it anyway. But um, I still want to see it, and I hope it stays in theaters for another week or two. But um, so the problem is, I want if I want to see a movie and I want to go on a date, and the girl also uh, wants to go see a movie, how do I make the decision of which movie to see? Um, and and uh, what's the sort of discourse around that? Uh, how do you make decisions about like? Do you see the movie you want to see versus the movie they want to see? Do you pick a movie in a genre you think they like, or do you take them to a movie that you think is good? Um, what, what are your thoughts? And I want to start with Natalie because I feel like, given the history of the echo chamber, she probably has the most to say that I haven't heard before. Uh, no offense. Well, <laughs> I, I practice, the practical way of going about it, if you're going on a date and want to go see a movie, is don't suggest any movies you don't want to see. Because if you put in a movie there that you think that she's going to see or that she's going to want to see, she may actually think you want to see it. And then you both end up settling for a movie you don't want to see, which is never a good thing. Mm. So, um, personally, really the only movies that appeal to me this summer are the big comedy films uh, and 
the comic book movies. The, I, I think the movie I am most excited to see is Scott Pilgrim, uh, because apparently I have the movie taste of a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah, I, the thing is, maybe I'm just more practical about it, or maybe you're underestimating your dates, and that I would... I don't know. I would never expect a date to go see 27 dresses with me <laughs> uh, <laughs> or to because, uh, I mean, I barely want to see it. So why would a yeah. guy want to see that? So I don't know. Yeah, I think um, that. Yeah. Like you, you kind of uh, are coming into this with a mindset that, uh, that doesn't need to be there. You know, Natalie doesn't speak for her gender as a whole either. Pete, if you really wanted to take a girl to see Priest, there are girls out there who are interested in seeing that movie. <laughs> you know? Well, very true. I, 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 you know. But I really, I really admire uh, the way that Natalie sort of steered the question first into information theory, right? Is like, don't allow your date to know that movies you don't want to see are in the theater, right? <laughs> like, oh, we can go see a movie tonight. Uh, what's playing? Well, there's The Other Guys, which I'd like to see. And then there's Priest. And those are the only two movies that have ever been made. Your call. <laughs> right. <laughs> and oh, also- let's try that Priest movie. I hope it's good. Yeah. And- if you're, especially on a situation where it's a date, and maybe if it's, if you're dating that person, if that person is your girlfriend or your boyfriend, they're going to support you in a, uh, in your likes and dislikes. So I would much rather go see Priest. Like I would pay ten dollars to go see Priest, a movie which I said five minutes ago I have no interest in, if my date who I was interested in really wanted to go see it. Mm. So I would rather go see something that my date was super enthusiastic about than settling for something we both didn't care about. Mm. But this, this decision would not breed resentment. No, because then the next time I the movie, uh, we would have to see something I really wanted to see, mm-hmm. uh, which is called a relationship. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a slightly different thing when you don't really know how much you like. If it was like a first or second date or something like that, right? Where you're not uh, quite willing to go see, you know, go see the priests of the world um, <laughs> for right. this person because, like, like maybe there's something there, but also maybe this will be the last time you see them, and like you'd like to at least see a good movie. Right. To at least get that much out of the relationship. Right. 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 Which is why why movies like Hot Tub Time Machine and Iron Man 2 exist. It's because there'll be something in it for both of you. It will at least be interesting for the hour and a half to two hours. And then maybe it gets a little romantic at point. So you both get thinking about it. So. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Gets you a little bit in the mood. I hope I hope Priest does that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like when he's manga killing the vampires, they kidnapped his. Wait, did they say he has a daughter? Hold on a niece, minute. Niece. Oh, niece. Oh, never mind. Okay, sorry, I was a little bit lost there for a second. Yeah, but you know, I mean, as 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 it is written, right? Uh, he asks, like, who are who are my brothers? You know, yeah. who, who is who is my uh, who is my mother? It's like it's. 
yeah, that's when, where he's violating church law, right there. You know? Yeah, exactly. So. It's like it's like when you save the least of me from vampires, you <laughs> save me from vampires. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's how it works out. Um, yeah, so I think I think that I'd bring this up. I mean, and of course, Nat- Natalie, I think is is right in, in the way to approach it. Um, but one of the reasons I bring this up is I feel like this is a particularly challenging summer to negotiate this problem, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's partially it's because. A lot of the movies, I don't know, I'm a little bit blasé about a lot of the movies, like you said, Natalie. I don't feel super enthusiastic about pretty much any of them. Um, But if that means that there's nothing out there, I mean, maybe the A-Team at this point, maybe. But if there's nothing out there that you're really excited about, then there's also the question of, well, okay, this is all right this week, then next week we get to do something I want. Like, what if there never is a movie that you actually want to see? Hmm. You know, like, like what, if, what if you don't want to see the other guys enough that it, like, suffices to balance out that choice? And I feel like as they're making movies, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's, that sort of is a, a demonstration of whether a particular season is a strong one for movies, whether it lets you do that back and forth between people. Not just whether it has good movies for you or good movies for the other person or good movies that both of you will enjoy, but whether it sort of gives people the opportunity to do give and take with seeing movies as social events in ways that they want to see them. You know what I mean? Hmm. It could also mean going to another store, so going to the fringe, going to the independent movie theater and yeah. seeing a movie that wasn't marketed to a certain yeah i actually I actually did that yesterday. Uh, I went with my girlfriend and with a friend of my girlfriend to watch a movie that actually turned out to be very good, and which um, we didn't really have to see like I, I sort of walked into this one uh, and it was a documentary called Babies. Um, and it was about babies. It was really fascinating. Um, and I mean, I love going to the. Yeah, yeah. It was about exactly what it said it was going to be oh, about. It's my oh, not only was it about that, but it was about nothing else. Uh, it was. <laughs> There were, this is a great movie. There were four babies, right? There's a baby in San Francisco. There's a baby in Tokyo. There's a baby in Mongolia. And there's a baby in Namibia. Uh, and the baby in Namibia is born to the bush people. And uh, the baby in Mongolia is born to nomadic uh, herds people. Um, and the Tokyo and San Francisco one are born to young professional couples or what have you. Um, and each baby, the movie follows each baby from their birth to right after they learn how to walk. And all it is, pretty much, is just footage of the baby. And it, it tell, manages to tell stories by cutting back and forth between, like, moments in the baby's life that are parallel across the different cultures. And, and the sort of the hook for the movie is you get to watch, like, the uh, San Francisco parents take their baby to baby yoga while the, like, Mongolian baby is, like, tied to a bed while the parents are out taking care of the cows and while the African baby is, like, drinking out of puddles and, like, scraping bones across its face. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, wow, like, these people don't really worry about their babies and it's really liberating to think that a baby can stay alive if you leave it alone for 15 minutes versus, like, (laughs) in the modern world, people are insane about babies and, like, are always dealing with them all the time and taking care of them, um... And, you know, the experiences that they have in common are also really uplifting. Like, the moments where they each learn how to walk are kind of really cool because you see the commonality there. And you see how people start out pretty similar and they diverge. Um, There's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sequence where the Japanese baby is trying to put a plastic post into a little donut, like a little plastic donut, and does it. But then the donut falls off. And... Uh, upon recognition of this, she goes into wild hysterics and, like, throws herself on the ground crying. Um, and it cuts to – and she rolls around for a while. And then it cuts to the Mongolian baby who, while tied to the bed, is trying to get a roll of toilet paper and is pulling on the toilet paper 
uh, and pulling and pulling and pulling, but he can't reach the roll because he's tied to the bed. And he is having a lot of fun. And it's about insolvable problems and like cultural responses to insolvable problems and personal responses to insolvable problems. They tell a story with these random clips. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking about that movie, but I'm just going to tell you that this is an example that could have been a, a rough one because I don't think we went by uh, the, the plan of like, it's okay to see movies that you want to see. Right, you go by the paranoid idea of like the movies I want to see are not movies that the person that I'm going on this date with are going to want to see. I should deliberately pick a movie that I don't think I would like, right? Which is a silly way to go about this. Um, but it's sort of this discourse of self-sacrifice, this idea of like a give and take having to be something that is a zero-plus game. Which it's is almost, so it's almost like a prisoner's dilemma aspect to it, right? Yeah, Where yeah. like anyone can, by like arguing really, really forcefully for going to see one movie, probably get that to be the movie that they're seeing. Yes. Um, and but like doing that has the you run the risk, right, of alienating the other person. And the going to see something like babies that neither one of you particularly wants to see, that's like the optimal prisoner's dilemma solution of uh, both of you don't confess, right? Yeah. Or b- b- both, of you, both of you don't talk. And uh, you end up like no one gets to get out of jail right away. Uh, you both have to sit through babies first. Yeah. Now, actually, it's interesting you bring up game theory because there is a game theory uh, example that is based off of it's usually framed in a narrative that's like this although it's that doesn't include this option that we're talking about here um which is the uh uh the battle of the sexes right um if you're familiar with this uh, i think Sheely's talked about it on the on the podcast too the battle of the sexes is a structural game wherein a man and a woman have an option of going to two different things either an opera or a football game mm-hmm. and uh that if yeah. if they yeah heteronormative garbage I want to go to the opera exactly <laughs> 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 pretty awesome um, so if they if one goes to the opera and one goes to the football game it's a zero payout for both of them because they don't they're not together presumably they don't go have nookie later or whatever um, but if the if they go to the opera then the woman has a marginally better time than the man and if they go to the football game then the man has a marginally better time than the woman and it's and it's really the narrative is tacked on. The important thing about the game theory matrix is that this is a structural kind of game that exists. I don't think it resembles the game that we're talking about here, which is the game of, like, we need to agree on what we're going to see at the movie, but if we don't conduct our discourse successfully... I guess it is kind of similar. If we don't conduct our discourse successfully such that we pick a course of action that's going to be decent, then we just end up feeling crappy. But, um, but yeah, it is, it is nice to hear that we're a little bit less uh, heteronormative about these things. So, uh, having considered these things, um, you know, uh, having thought about these movies and seeing these movies, uh, any final thoughts about our entertainments this summer? This summer, um, let's go. Let's go in order. Uh, Natalie, what are your thoughts uh, about the summer? Final words about what you're going to do uh, with the summer ahead of you? I'm going to see two movies. Scott Pilgrim and something else. But I haven't <laughs> decided what that's going to be yet. Excellent. So come and get me, cinemas. Mark, <laughs> any final thoughts from you? All I have to say is, I pity the fool who remakes 18 movie and makes it crappy. <laughs> so it better not be bad. Excellent. And that's, really, and that's all I have left for, for the summer. And Stokes? You know, I'm... Uh, I can't get the idea of priest out of my head. I have this like horrifying fear that I'm going to end up seeing that somehow. Excellent. Excellent. And I will close by saying, go outside. 
It's beautiful outside. Enjoy nature. You don't have to go to the movies. But when you go... It's humid. It's humid as crap out there. And air conditioners have air conditioning. I mean, and movie theaters have air conditioning. All right. Well, if you choose not to go outside, or if you have a portable device that accesses the internet... I suggest that you spend your time going to www.overthinkingat.com, uh, and so we're are giving us uh, giving us a call at two zero three two eight five six four zero one, filling out our listener survey, emailing us at podcastoverthinkingit.com, uh, and, and really just spending some quality time with the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. We should uh, we should next uh, next week's podcast should be subjecting going outside to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Yeah. <laughs> like, are we ever really outside? <laughs> What's the deal with trees? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do they make oxygen? Yeah.